Welcome to another day as we continue going through the Word of God. And I hope you've got your Bibles ready to go. And uh, we're about to start a journey through the books of First and Second Thessalonians, which we believe to be Paul's first letters that he ever wrote to a church that he had established. And a little bit of contention about whether Galatians might have been written around the same time or earlier. But uh, we're pretty sure that this was the first letter that he ever wrote to a church that he established. Uh, and uh, an amazing journey. As I always say before I get into it, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, like my Facebook page, subscribe to Instagram, follow that. Like, uh, subscribe, comment, share on these videos as much as you can. Please comment on them as well because your comments are so encouraging to people. Uh, I want to start off before I, I want to give you an introduction to the book of First Thessalonians. I'm going to read from the New King James Study Bible, which is my favorite study Bible. Uh, just an, It's one I recommend to people uh, who are, you know, just uh, uh, really just starting out. They're like, they're just looking for something uh, without having to go through and find other resources. I think it's a really great study Bible. Uh let me read to you what, uh, what it says here. Nearly all new believers have questions about their faith. So true. As a seasoned missionary, Paul knew this. And for this reason, he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica shortly after establishing the church there. Timothy's job was to find out how the young church was doing. And when he returned, he was loaded down with their questions. First Thessalonians is Paul's patient reply to those questions. He reinforces the basic gospel message instructs them further in the faith and provides practical application for spiritual truths. Uh, the letter was written, we think, around AD 51 from Corinth. Uh, it's, it's, um, Thessalonica was, was one of the very first cities that Paul and uh, Silas ever evangelized in their trip to, to Europe, which is when they left you know, the Middle East area of, of Israel and went up to Turkey and, and Greece. And uh, Paul preached in Philippi, and he, I mean, it was effective, but he ended up in jail and being beaten. And then he traveled and and strategically went to Thessalonica, which was about 100 miles away from Philippi. And Thessalonica was one of the wealthiest trade centers in uh, the Roman Empire. It was the capital of the largest province in Macedonia. Had probably about 200,000 people living there, so fairly substantial size. And Paul wanted to set up a, a strategic gospel church hub in Thessal Thessalonica. And uh, after he, he wasn't there for very long, he literally was only there for a few weeks and he was chased out of town. It's actually unbelievably amazing what he taught that church in just a few weeks. Like, uh, we're going to cover it. Uh, after that, he, he finds himself back in Corinth and and he's, he's not doing well, and he says to, to Timothy, listen, I need you to go and find out, uh, Silas and Timothy, you've got to go find out what's going on. They go back, uh, or Timothy goes back, and, um, and he comes back with some encouraging news And when he, when he comes back to Paul in Corinth, and he talks about their faithfulness, uh, even though they're being persecuted, they've got some questions. So Paul says, oh, they've got questions, they're doing well, let's write a letter. And that's what this book is. So imagine that's the, that's the premise of Paul writing this particular letter. Now, what's in this letter is an intimate introduction of how Paul discipled young believers 
and, and basically making sure that you have to teach young converts doctrine. It's not okay just to let them get saved. You have to teach them doctrine and, and to accurately describe what salvation is in, in its full dimensions. Uh, First Thessalonians, Paul reviewed some of the basics of the faith and applied these truths to believers' lives. He challenged them to persevere in godly living despite persecution, and he extended the comfort of the resurrection to those who were in mourning, and he spoke about the details of the second coming of Christ. In addition, Paul responded to the angry attacks of his Jewish opponents, who were jealous because Christians were drawing God-fearing Gentiles away from the local synagogue. Paul's opponents may have charged that his failure to return to Thessalonica proved that he was insincere in the first place. Paul devoted the first three chapters of this letter to correcting this false impression. What's amazing about this particular book is in a very brief space, Paul covered a very wide spectrum of the essential doctrines of Christianity. Doctrines we must all understand. Uh, The Trinity, deity of Christ, power of the Holy Spirit, nature of Scripture, uh, timing and events of the second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord, assurance of salvation, conversion, sanctification, resurrection, relation of faith to works, relation of love to service, relation of patience to hope. That's what's all in this. Are you excited? Me too. Let's go. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Who is Silvanus? That's Silas. That was the name that he went by. Paul was an amazing apostle of God, but he knew that he had to always operate in teams. You can be an amazing human being. I don't care how talented you are. You, you can also be a loner. Oh, I'm just a loner. I don't know how to work in teams. No, Paul knew that you needed to work in teams, and that's what he did. When he parted ways with Barnabas, he immediately teamed up with Silas and then Timothy. Uh, This is very important because these companions helped him along the way and and Paul knew that the church in Thessalonica was going to know who Silas and Timothy was. Uh, When Paul first came to Thessalonica, Silas was with him. You can read about that in Acts chapter 17. So the Thessalonians knew Silas well. Uh, They knew of Timothy. Paul had already sent uh, Timothy to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll read about that. And so he wanted this, and, and Timothy was the one who was going to take this letter to the church in Thessalonica. Paul himself founded the, the church in Thessalonica on his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 17. You can read about that. But as I mentioned, he was only there for a short time, just like a very short time. And he then was chased out of Thessalonica and ended up in Corinth. And by the time he gets there, he's just beaten. He's been beaten in Philippi. He's been chased out of Thessalonica. Uh, he, he's, he writes in 1 Corinthians 2, I was weak in fear and in much trembling. Basically, he was discouraged and, and depressed. And he's there in Corinth and he says, Hey, listen, Silas, Timothy, uh, you know, t- tell me what's going on in Thessalonica. They come back and they go, the church is strong. The church is alive. And he, and he immediately perks up and writes this book. And uh, it's amazing to think that he starts it off, you know, just getting, you can imagine him getting so excited. Paul, Silas, Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. Uh, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, a customary greeting of Paul's. 
with his clear conviction of who Jesus was in relation to God the Father and that the Trinity was part of his doctrine. And in chapter 1, he's going to talk about Jesus. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit and God the Father and how they're all one. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. When Paul was, would think of the, the Christians in Thessalonica, he would be filled with gratitude because he knew that the work was going to be on him personally. He needed to be involved, but the work needed more. It needed God. And he, he, made, he actually says something very interesting here in verse 2. He says, I'm making mention of you in, his, in my prayers. Do you realize he didn't say, hey, listen, I go away. I'm in the prayer closet. I'm interceding for hours for you. No, he said, listen, when I pray, I make mention of you. Let me give you a practical application of what that looks like. When somebody sends you a text message or somebody posts something on Facebook or social media, please pray or prayer is needed. Don't send back, we'll do. Don't do that. Don't go, we'll do. Say done. Just pray there and then. Just do it. Just make mention. You can just, somebody says, uh, please pray for, you know, my wife's in labor. God, I pray for so-and-so in labor right now. In Jesus' name. There you go. Four seconds, done. That's what he's saying. I made mention of you in my prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. When he remembered them, made him thankful. Now his gratitude wasn't because they thought highly of him. It wasn't because they were morally impeccable. It wasn't because they were completely accurate in their doctrine. He had to address all those things in these letters. No, he was grateful because they bore the evidence and fruit of the Holy Spirit in their changed lives, in that they bore the three Christian virtues we should all have, faith, hope, and love. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Paul reminded them that God loved them. They were beloved. And they were chosen. Now, what does this election mean? We are all elected. We are all chosen, I should say, as opposed to elected. I apologize. We're all chosen. Not all of us become elected because we don't respond to the choice. God chooses every one of us. And, and, and the Bible says that he wishes that none should perish. But it, it, we don't become part of the elect until we choose him back until we accept the gift of salvation. So we're all chosen, but we become part of the elect when we respond to that cho choice, and we choose God too. Verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. The gospel will never be a matter of mere words. It is also about power. The message of Jesus Christ is about power. Power for miracles, power for wonderful signs, power to change the minds and hearts and lives of people. Uh, it, it's about uh, um, the message of the power of the Holy Spirit, who is a living person, not some weird member of the Trinity. And, and the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of those who hear the word of God. What does he do? He convicts. What is conviction? Conviction means pointing us to stay away from the things we need to stay away from and pointing us to the truth of the Word of God and Jesus Christ. He comforts us. He, he, he instructs us. And he does that the most when we read the Word of God. David Guzik said this, We sometimes think too little about the spiritual operations of the Word of God. 
There is a spiritual work of God's word that goes far beyond the basic educational of just learning, the, uh, you know, educational value of learning the Bible. Now, it is also a message that is given with much assurance. And there's no substitute for you and I having an assurance of our salvation. There's no point us trying to convince somebody if we don't have an assurance of it ourselves. Verse 6. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Thessalonians had done when they were confronted with the gospel. They immediately stopped the things in their life they were meant to stop. They followed Paul and the message of Jesus Christ. They followed Paul and the Lord. And Paul says, it's a good thing that you're following me. And he wasn't shy about saying following me because he knew where he was going and he knew who he was imitating. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So, which is something we should all say. It's terrible if you're just saying, well, don't imitate me because I'm terrible. Just, just look at, under Jesus. No, Jesus is, is alive in you. It's no longer I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. Therefore, people should be able to see Christ in you the longer you're a Christian. Paul's message included an element of very personal, intimate discipleship for these people that he just led to the Lord weeks before, months before. He could show them his life and then they could learn from his example about being a disciple. Now, here's the thing. Many Christians are followers of Jesus, but they are not disciples. In fact, I know many people who have followed him their whole life and are not disciples. You know why? Because a disciple is not just a follower. A disciple is a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. And most Christians may not even qualify for being disciples because they don't ever discipline themselves to do everything the Word of God says and follow Jesus in all things. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, you can imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. You'll never be a disciple if you don't imitate Jesus. You won't. Now, when you become a disciple, as the church in Thessalonica found out, immediate affliction and persecution comes into your life. And Paul says, I thank God for the way that you embraced it, uh, because they actually embraced it. They weren't fatalistic about it. They weren't, well, I guess that's just what happens when you become a Christian. I guess like you're just going to get persecuted and you just got to hang on just waiting for Jesus to get back one day. I think he's coming back. It's what the Bible says. I don't know. You know. No, they were like, no, we're facing it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. We're ready to go. Paul and Silas have been in jail in Philippi and they're, they're having a worship session, singing. Would you do that? You're, you're in chains in prison and you're like, hey, can you get me like some music, man? I'm, I'm ready to throw down some worship right now. Let's do this, you know. Um, this is what the joy of the Holy Spirit is. It's got nothing to do with circumstances. It's got to do with who you're serving. Verse 7. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Paul was an example to the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians became an example to others. That's how the work of God should happen. Is it happening in you? You have to ask yourself that question. Uh, do people look at your life as an example of somebody who has been transformed by the power of the message of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit? Uh, that is the question that you have to ask yourself today. Verse 8. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. I'm going to talk about sounded forth. It sounds so Bible, but there's a reason it's in there. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. 
your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. This is part of the good example that the Thessalonian Christians have provided. Sounded forth means this in Greek, a loud ringing sound as of a trumpet blast. The good work that the Lord was doing amongst the Thessalonians became known all over the region. People talked about the changes in them as if a trumpet had been blasted. This is why I love the version of the New King James. I love it because it just it doesn't try to make it more accessible. It just makes it accurate. And then I've got to work out what it means. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing these videos for you. Uh, Paul David Guzik said this. Paul basically said, you Thessalonian Christians are sounding forth the word of the Lord so effectively that you're putting me out of business. We do not need to say anything. Isn't that amazing? So Paul pairs two different ideas here. The word of the Lord sounded forth and their faith toward God going out. Uh, and these two aspects are essential if we're going to spread the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Firstly, there needs to be a message to be spread, and that message needs to impact our own lives first. Second, we need faith to go out so that their faith toward God goes out to all the world. Verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Spurgeon said of this verse, Everybody asked, why? What has happened to these Thessalonians? These people have broken their idols. They worship the one God. They trust in Jesus. They are no longer drunken, dishonest, impure, contentious. Everybody talked of what had taken place among these converted people. Oh, for conversions, plentiful, clear, singular, and manifest, that so the word of God may sound out. Our converts are our best advertisements and our arguments. Uh, the verb to serve here in verse 9 is the Greek word duleo, and it, it had never been used in pagan literature in a religious context. What do I mean by that? No Greek or Roman would ever contemplate or entertain the idea of them serving a god. They worshipped gods so that the gods would serve them. And and, and Paul's acknowledging here, you totally turned around, 180. You used to ask gods to serve you. That's why you worship them. Now you worship them and you serve them. You serve him, the, the true God. Uh, which is you know, an amazing transformation. Again, witnessed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Spurgeon said of this verse, Oh, this is a high mark of grace when the Christian expects the Lord to come and lives like one that expects him every moment. If you and I knew tonight that the Lord would come before this service was over, in what state of heart should we sit in these pews? In that state of heart, we ought to be. Paul pointed to the essence of salvation in saying, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. And, and we deserve it. We're saved from something. That something is the righteous wrath of God. It's the punishment of God. Jesus took it all on himself on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. See, 
when I start to think about what I observe in this first chapter, it's a few things. Firstly, I need to be a better example. You and I need to be better examples. But we also need to sound forth a lot more. I don't think there's a lot of Christians sounding forth. I just don't. I think a lot of Christians do this. Oh, well, I just live my life as an example. I'm just, I don't want to shove it down people's throats. I just want to be an example. Well, great for you. That's amazing for you. How wonderfully noble. But how did you find out? Somebody told you. So now it's your job to tell somebody else. See, maybe somebody gave you a Bible and you read the Bible. Somebody else was involved. Um, you know, I, I, I tell a story when I teach the Alpha Course um, of, 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 of a group of people. It's, just, it's, an, it's, a, it's, it's an analogy, okay? Imagine you're on a plane, the plane crashes in the desert, but everybody's, everybody survives, okay? There's no problem. Uh, but you're in the desert, and, the, and, and everybody realizes that we need water quickly, otherwise we're going to die. So you set up search parties, and every day, everybody goes in different directions to find water. Well, imagine you're on day three, and you happen to find water. And you're just like lapping up that water. You are, you're thirsty. You know you're close to death. Now you've got a decision to make. Are you going to go back and tell everybody in the plane that you found water? Or are you going to have some moral conversation with yourself and say, well, I'm just going to live like an example of somebody who's not thirsty. And if anybody asks me why I'm not thirsty, I'll tell them where the water is. There's no way you're doing that. No way. You're running back to that plane going, I found the water. We're all saved. So why don't we do that with the gospel message of Jesus Christ? See, that's what it means to live every moment as if Jesus is coming back. We're telling people about him. He's the living water. He's the only one that can quench the thirst of those who are looking for something that's going to impact their eternity. Nothing else can impact your eternity. You can say, I don't believe in Jesus. You're going to be confronted with him, whether you believe in him or not. And you're either going to be on the right side or the wrong side. And I want you to understand that if you've chosen Jesus, you have a responsibility to, to share the good news of the message of Jesus Christ to as many people as possible. We're going to enjoy this journey through the book of Thessalonians. Heavenly Father, thank you for a great day today. I pray a blessing over every single person. I pray, Lord, that every person watching this would realize that you've given them the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, the power to their salvation. Uh, and Father, I pray, Lord, that they would be witnesses. They would be examples, even if they've only just given their lives to you in the last few weeks or days or minutes even. I pray, Lord, that they would understand they can be an example uh, of you to others in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.